Hey, welcome back to another episode of In the Expert Opinions with Mike and Jeff. Mike and I talked shortly after this uh, re- recording and both agreed this is this is our favorite one to date um, that we've that we've that we've recorded. So uh, I hope you guys I hope you guys feel the same. I won't give it too much more of an intro other than that. Um, and, and we'll jump right into today's topic, which was uh, mail-in voting and our, our thoughts and opinions on that. So without further ado, in expert opinions, enjoy. There's the clap. There's the clap. Am back, I echoing? Back I feel here like with I'm another, echoing. Are you? Ooh, back am, here am with another echo? beat. Back here with another banger. We can't steal that from those kids. Um, all right. Let's jump on in here. So you don't hear an echo. It's just me. I do cool. not hear an echo. Well, there's something going on here. Oh, no. It's all right. Okay. Okay. I think we got it figured out. We're good. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Tuesday. Happy, is it? Is it on his Tuesday? The October 6th. 6th. 16th. We are now less than a month from Election Day. This is a true statement. I got my mail-in ballot. Did you? Late, late last week. I had to fill that thing out. Good. I haven't gotten mine yet. Really? Yeah. Did you, does does Colorado send it to everybody? Yeah. Colorado's been mail-in only for, I don't know how long, five years, 10 years, something like that. Okay. I saw this morning that the Supreme Court voted with South Carolina to require a um, second signature on mail-in ballots, kind of like a proof of identity to a degree. So you sign your ballot after you fill it out and then you have to have like a witness essentially sign it to say, yes, well, this is that person. And I watch them sign it like kind a of notary like a, almost like a notary almost like, but anybody can do it, which How? I don't see as a bad thing. <sighs> 2013 is when Colorado started voting mail-in only. Um, so how does that work? Uh, so I mean, I mean, if, if anybody could do it, why can't I just sign Franklin Warbuckle? And, and I mean, there's my second signature. Well, Oh, because the I guess honor you system could do that. I guess the whole point of them, I think if you're doing that, then you are already predisposed to making bad decisions and potentially, you know, committing voter fraud. But yeah. most people, I think, will be like, eh, okay, I can go get another signature. I'll just have my significant other or whatever do it. Huh. I would say that I bet a lot of people that are vying for Trump to be out of the White House are already thinking of committing voter fraud. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't, again, that's not to say that people are bad. I think, I think those people are still good people, but I think they just, they really don't want Donald Trump to serve a second term. So they'll, they'll go to just about any length to, but right now, if, if we believe the polls, which again, questionable after 2016's election and everyone's saying that Hillary pretty much had this thing fricking taken, you know, Right now, if you believe the polls, Biden's leading by anywhere between, depending on what you read, seven and twelve percent. Yeah. You know, right now I don't think it's the Democrats that are going to have to cheat. I don't think I. Quite frankly, hopefully nobody does it. I, I think you and I chatted about this not on the podcast, but 
you know, how come we can open a bank account without having to be in the bank yet all of a sudden filling out a simple questionnaire and answering a few questions and mailing it in seems to be the challenge of the century. I don't get it. Well, but we hey, didn't. you know what? I'd like to open a savings account. Here's $120,000 I'm going to put in there. Oh yeah, just do this online. We don't need to verify your identity or the fact that this might be a lie or you're trying to hide money or, you know, none of those questions come up. Well, I think so I those are just two vastly different. I I I I I, I understand your sentiment, I think, but I think that mm -hmm. you have to look at the nuance and uh, you voting, you opening a bank account and depositing money does not have the potential to completely uh, change the. True. I see what you're saying. The, you know, the, the, the landscape of things. And that's and that's why, I, at least in Carney, I know, I don't know. And quite frankly, maybe around here, too. But uh, you can go into a bank and I can go I can go deposit money into Mike Beanhoff's account because you should do at, that today. And at, try at the it. end of the day, it's like, well, well, what I can't go withdraw because right. I can then I can steal from you. But I can mm -hmm. give you money if I want to, because that's not a. OK, but let's look at this from a logics perspective. Logics. I have a pretty strong opinion on who I want to be in the White House come 2021, January 2021, right? Right, right. I don't, and this is me, and I realize that I'm speaking for one person, but- I'm going to speak a, for like everybody I, else. Okay. I don't give a shit enough to go out and try to fraudulent, like, like fill out fraudulent um, mail-in voting things. I mean, it's just whatever they're called ballots ballots. I mean, I, who the fuck has the time? I mean, everyone has to know that that is a felony. A lot of people, I think. Have no, the time. I don't think so. Cause you're saying, cause I think if, if that were true, that means a lot of people would be committing felonies all the time. I mean, I, I think, I think we're giving this idea of this election a little too much weight to a degree where we think all of a sudden hordes of people are going to start committing felonies to get what they want. If that's the case, go fit a good, go, go commit a real felony, a good one that actually benefits you more than the person sitting at the fucking white house. Well, go I rob think a goddamn bank. Like to sit here and say, who has the time to do that is the same as asking, I don't know if you have how much time you spend on YouTube watching children's videos. Probably not a lot, but I do. A fair I don't have amount. any children. So if I was doing that, would that concern you? <laughs> well, it would concern me. Maybe. Depends <laughs> on how much you like children's videos. Some of them are kind of <laughs> awesome. Don't. You should spend a little time, though, watching children's, children's videos on well, YouTube because there's the a fairly large. There's a fairly large. Uh, <sighs> I don't know what the right word is. There is content on YouTube that is like, like Peppa Pig is one of my, my, my kids' favorite shows. Mm -hmm. You can pull up Peppa Pig episodes on YouTube and start watching them. And three minutes in, you get Debbie does Dallas. And it's like clips of pornography and things like that. Right. There's a what? lot of that on YouTube. And the question of who has the time to go and do mail-in ballot voter fraud is the same question of who has the time to sit here and splice together a bunch of crap to uh, poison little kids minds and scare the crap out of them. Right. It's, it's well, kind of, I don't I have the time, but there are obviously yahoos out there who are sure. doing it. And well, sure. that's why I would sit here and say, I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's Americans, but 
Oh, I you're think, saying that it could be okay. I think oh, it could be a ton of people out there that, that are going to potentially try to, to F with the system. That I could see being an issue. I don't know how they would do it, but again, I mean, I guess I shouldn't know how it would be done, but we just put a couple plants here, a couple spies, a couple, you know, right. But think about the amount of people you would have to really sway an election. I mean, not because I understand like what Russia d- did and what, you know, China proposedly did, uh, um, like trying to overwhelm our like communication channels, whether it be social news, et cetera, and spinning false information. That makes sense. I get that. I could see how that could potentially sway a voter who's undecided or is leaning one way or the other, but they didn't. Let me rephrase this. They weren't actually toying with the devices in place that make the election happen. Does that make sense? Like they weren't, you know, a lot of the questions are, can they hack our, like the electronic voter booths and, and all of those. And I think there was some news, whether it's real or not, saying that, that they were concerned about that, you know, ha- hacking the networks where these things are submitted, et cetera. I don't think there was ever proof of that happening. So th- those problems still exist, in my opinion. They can still be done, I'm, I'm assuming. But trying to do it with mail-in votes, you would, like you said, have to be physically present to do it. They, it's not like Russia or China can start printing fake ballots and mailing them in from Russia because all of those ballots are, you know, they have like their own, you know, UPC code and they're, you know, measured and numbered to some degree. Mm-hmm. So you can't create fake ones. Right. And unless they're in Russia is going to send over, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to come fake vote for them. Well, why couldn't they send over five people and have each one of those people do go, go to all of the apartment complexes in Omaha and grab up all of the, like, what, well, what how, are they, what, well, what how do they call do that? What are you going to break into the mailboxes? Well, so what do they call these? The, the, they're, they're ballot harvesters, I believe is what they're called. Um, they're legal. They're legal in California. I think they're illegal in a lot of other States, but they are people that are put into position by, both political parties to go around and pick up all of the ballots that have been voted for and, and mailed in, right? And they're called ballot harvesters. And I believe they're illegal in other states. Don't quote me on, on this, again, in expert opinions, but I, I believe they're illegal in other states because there's the notion that you could theoretically go harvest all of change these battles and change everybody's answer. stuff, right? Yeah. So I don't think it would be that difficult. If you look at... I don't know. I don't know how conspiracy theorist you want to go here. But I mean, if if you look at all of the different areas that you could potentially say that this is happening or that's happening or the deep state has control of this, it doesn't seem like it's that far fetched for the KGB or communist China to place some sort of person in in a position to be able to go and grab thousands of votes and and, and alter them in some way shape or form, not saying by any means that that's happening or it's going to happen. It just doesn't seem that far out of the realm of possibility in my mind. Yeah. 
So here's a, here's a, so, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure all of those, but again, we have to, why are we making the assumption that someone will do that when we have had no proof of it happening? I don't know that we're necessarily making the assumption that they, that, that, that that's going to happen. I think we are questioning the possibility of it happening. Right. I think we're looking at about at the probability, right? Like if we were to do this, what are the chances that this could potentially take place? Yeah. So here's a number. So, so this is an analysis of the, uh, from the electronic registration information center or Eric as the acronym Dumb, yeah, it is. <laughs> found that officials identified just 372 possible cases of double voting or voting on behalf of deceased people out of about 14.6 million votes cast by mail in the 2016 and 2018 general elections or 0.0025%. Hmm. That's so, from Eric. The, that's the what? from yeah, like they were the ones that provided this information, the Electronic Registration Information Center. I've read such varying numbers on that. Well, and again, the yeah, board. I mean, that goes back to our whole. Oh, the media. The Yeah, the freaking just how fast false information. Because I'm not saying that status accurate. I just, right. This is what I'm reading. Right. So here's another one. This is from AP News says, more broadly speaking, voter fraud has proved exceedingly rare the brennan center for justice in 20 what the heck the brenner center for justice in 2017 ranked the risk of ballot fraud at 0.00004% to 0009% based on studies of past elections in the five states that regularly send ballots to all voters there have been no major cases of fraud or difficulty counting the votes yeah see and that's where I mean, that's where you start that's where you got to start to look at what are you evaluating and considering mail-in voting fraud? Are you considering duplicate ballots? Are you considering, you know, people, people being voted, people voting that are deceased? Um, you know, there's, there's between 2012 and 2018, there were 28.3 million mail-in ballots that, that, to this day have remained unaccounted for, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is that potentially voter fraud, right? Like they were never cast, but they're also not there. They're, they're nowhere to be found. And so, well, so, so I was reading an article about that. That's a good point because you know, these States like Colorado that mail out, I think I'm looking right here. So just out of, this is just something that we touched on a second ago and I'm going to bring it up, but in Colorado, 77% of voting age citizens cast ballots in the 2016 presidential election, the highest figure in the country. So 77% of the voting age citizens cast an mail-in ballot, which is the it's the, like I said, highest in the country. Oregon was at 72% and Washington state was at 68%. The national rate of, of uh, maybe this is just voting. Yeah, that's just voting. I My apologies. So the national, wow, get this. The national rate, the average national rate of um, voting age citizens who actually vote is only 63%. It's pretty crazy. The, the national average 
the national like the average national rate of of voting age citizens to actually vote is 63 percent. 63 percent of act of people who are actually of age to vote 60 only 63 percent of people do it correct yeah and see and that's like colorado has the highest percent of, at 77 of voting age citizens voting yes and that's 77 percent oregon 72 washington 68 percent yeah like i don't i don't know it's just it's such an interesting it's such an interesting it's it's gray. It's kind of like I don't want to I don't want to segue down this topic, but it's like it's like abortion. There's no black. I don't think there's a black or white like, yep, this is it's this is not fraudulent or this is this is fraudulent. I don't think there is a there are too many, at least as of now, because it hasn't been given a ton of thought. I think there are too many areas for it to go wrong you know i mean it's 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 one of those things where you it's going to take time to get right and there are always going to be holes that people are going to find and people are going to exploit Mm -hmm. and the only real solid surefire way at least that i have seen proposed to completely prevent it is to do in-person voting. That's that's I mean, that's the only way to completely mitigate but we the, have the, all the these fail points. Points that of are failure. saying that there's that voter fraud. I mean, again, you're saying like if you back to that previous number I mentioned, you know, and between the 2016 and 2018 general elections, 14.7 million people voted by mail. And we have never found any serious cases of voter fraud in that. So, but that's where you have to start to evaluate what are you considering voter fraud? Well, I mean, the thing is, is I would assume that these, these groups that are doing this research are probably looking at any of the, all of the above anything, like whether they're, you're casting a VAT ballot for a deceased human being or double voting or whatever it may be. I mean, like I said, or like that stat said, 372 cases in 40 out of 14.7 that they that there was at least additional um like whatever review of those as potential voter fraud so i mean here's the thing let me this is what i've been thinking about recently voter i mean the remember the last the last big fuck up when it comes when it came to like the election was in 2000 between George W. and I don't know who is running on the Democratic ticket. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But, and that was just a miscount in Florida. Remember that mess? Oh, yeah. So that was the last big one we had. So here's where I'm at with it is this was never something that was demanding headlines or a bigger discussion until... Trump and the Republicans started using it as a talking point for this election. And that's what, why it bothers me to a degree, because it's like, wait a minute, we've never even thought of having this discussion in however many years. I mean, I don't know how long mail-in voting. I mean, I know mail-in voting started back in the civil war. So our soldiers could vote from the field. Right. 
and so it's been going on for that long and it's, you know, and it, I'm sure it's progressively gotten more and more acceptable, more people do it and it's going to continue that direction. Mm-hmm. And we've never, ever, ever decided that we should really take a look at this and make sure it's safe until the sitting president of the United States decided to say, well, it's fraudulent. Well, I mean, that's, that's just a talking point. That's just spinning bullshit in my personal opinion. And what the reason he's doing it, I'm I'm not going to even get into, I, I mean, I could probably come up with 15 different scenarios of why he might say that, but to me, what bothers me about all of this is, and he said it in, in this, his last, in this last debate last week is, you know, if he feels that this was a fraudulent election, if he feels so again, if in his opinion, regardless of facts, cause Donald Trump doesn't need facts for anything, he may not peacefully leave the white house. He like would not agree to say, yes, I will peacefully leave if I lose the election. That to me is like towing the line of dictatorship. Like why, why do you think you get an option, buddy? Well, our military will yank your ass out. I was just going to say he doesn't. And that's why there are checks and balances and fail safes in place that that'll never happen. They'll, they'll drag him. They'll drag him out by his hair if they have to. So that's just him saying it and who cares. But right. Well, again, it's frustrating. Well, you think don't don't know, because I just I don't let stuff like that get to me. Like, that's just that's silly. Um that, well, I mean, yes, but, he's, but the thing he's is, just, is, he's just saying things to say things. And that is well, like, no, whatever. It doesn't, I it doesn't agree matter. with you, but I, I, yeah, no, I don't, I 100% agree with you that he's saying things just to say them and to get a rise out of people. But what I think what bothers the bothersome part of it is for me is we are the gold standard of how democratic election should be held. Sure. And he's making a mockery of something that we have done really, really well for 200 plus years. Well, I think that's because we're talking about completely revamping things based on evidence that is really somewhat murky at best, right? We're, we're talking about doing mail-in bat- ballot voting because of the coronavirus. That's, that's, that's number one, right? Like that's, that's the big, even though we were driving. doing it, we've been doing it by the hordes and by the millions prior to coronavirus. But, but we've been doing it so, so I the, military, the, number... the military is heavily regulated. That's why they've been able to pull it off. Okay. Right. And outside of that, we've been doing it with absentee ballots. Right. Which is, which is, uh, which is funny because Caltech and MIT did a, uh, had what what's called the voting technology project back in 2008 and all of the statistics, all of the data, all that basically the study found and their recommendation afterward in 2008 were that that we restrict or abolish on demand absentee voting in favor of in-person early voting. I'm not entirely sure what those statistics are or why they came to that conclusion, but that's mm-hmm. MIT and Caltech, two of the most. Well, and that was in 08. I mean, like I'm looking, I'm, and I'm not saying that, but like, so since 96, we have seen anywhere from a two to 4% jump in the number of mail-in ballots mm-hmm. every election year. Yep. So in 2016, 20.9% of all votes cast were done by mail. Yep. 
So it's not like this is a new thing. So, I mean, we can, it's not like it's a new thing, but it's never done. It's never been done full on at scale. And I think that's the Hillary Clinton 2016, one popular vote by 2.8 million more votes than Trump, right? Uh Six million mail-in ballots went unaccounted for. That's twice the amount of votes that she won by, right? So, well, that just means, but when you say unaccounted for, I'm assuming like when, cause you, I know that we were talking last time you mentioned California sent out, it's like 116% of. Yeah. So my understanding of that is that what California does is they mail it to every registered voter in the state. But the thing is, is they sometimes mail them to people who have moved who have passed away, whatever. So that's why you're seeing that above 100%. The thing is, is what I don't understand is what are the two systems that aren't communicating to each other? How does somebody I, I, know I, that these people are passed away yet they're still getting a ballot? Thing yeah, is, is, Los Angeles County, for instance, has 1.5 million more registered voters on the voter rolls than mm-hmm. are legally eligible to vote. Right. 1.5 million. That's a, that's a ton. And that's one no, county. Is. That's one but the county. thing is, is then again, an assumption is being made that all of those ballots that have been mailed will be filled out and returned. I guarantee you out of that 1.5 million more ballots, you know, I would argue a fraction of a percent, someone will try to fraudulently vote with them. Otherwise they're just going to go uncounted. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. And, and, and when, when I say the 6 million unaccounted mail-in ballots, I don't know if that is 6 million ballots that went out or 6 million ballots of people that they know for a fact are of voting age that have voted in past elections that didn't vote or they right. didn't obtain the ballots for, I don't know that number, but I, I, the bigger question is if those are 6 million unaccounted ballots, and we don't have that. That's twice the number of people that she won by, right? The popular right. vote. And that's six million people. That, yeah. Uh, where, where where does that go? What 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 happened? Right. My right. guess is if they're talking about six million. Again, I do not know this, but my guess would be if they're talking about six million unaccounted votes ballots, those are probably six million ballots that have been legitimate ballots in years prior. Right. And maybe right, they, they are, were mailed to what they believed to be a valid, like, active registered voter. Right. Right. They just weren't either. Somebody just didn't give a shit and didn't fill it out. Right. They didn't, you know, they moved and they were thrown in the trash. Right. Whatever. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and I think that's where it starts to get dicey. That's where it's not, mm-hmm. I'm by no means saying it can't be done. I'm by no means saying it shouldn't be done. I think it should be done. If I didn't have to walk my butt down to the polls, I would be super, super excited if I mm-hmm. get to just, I mean, I, I get to do that because I'm in Colorado, right? Yeah. I don't know. To, to the point that we've talked about in the past. I don't know that you get to just willy nilly all of a sudden do it right now because you feel like doing it right. Mm-hmm. Going back to the coronavirus as being the number one reason. Uh, there, here, here's some interesting stats. Wisconsin is one U.S. state that held its primary election with in-person voting after the coronavirus lockdown happened. No mm-hmm. cases. Uh 413,000 participants attended those primary elections, right? Mm -hmm. And there were two dozen people that contracted the coronavirus. 
So that's that's hundredths of a percent. South Korea held its national elections, right? Mm-hmm. And didn't result in any new coronavirus uh, cases. So mm-hmm. like we found out ways to get people back to restaurants. We found ways to get people back to, 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 or to allow people to go out and protesting. We found all of these different things for people to go, just go out and do mm-hmm. throughout well, and, this, and pan- it's not throughout just, this it's pandemic, not, but well, we are going to, there's an economic to, purpose behind that, but, but I do well, agree with what you're there, saying. There is an economic purpose behind that, but you're also talking about going back to the gold standard of democracy. You're talking about arguably like people say that our right to vote is what sets us apart from everybody else. Like it's mm-hmm. one of the most important things out there. Right. And you are now going to just going to a restaurant is not important. Doing all of these things. Sure. It's good for the economy, but there are ways or you can, we did it throughout the pandemic. You can deliver food. You can do all of these things and keep the economy going to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. but you are now going to shut down the most important thing in the United States of America or, or what is said to be because of this, this virus. Well, okay. But so, my, my counter to that would be people who are at a higher risk, whether they have comorbidities or whatever it may be that puts them at risk. Those people don't have to participate in any of this economic reopening at all. They don't do not have to, if they don't want to, but, and what we're actually saying to them is, but what you do, if you want to have, do the thing that makes you like feel more American than anything else, which is vote, you have to leave your house and put yourself at risk to make your account like heard. That's yeah, that's not optional. And I, the thing I is don't. the economic option opening is, is 100% optional. If you don't, I mean, like I, I listen to a radio station here in Atlanta every morning and, and there are people on that, like one of the hosts of that show has essentially remained in quarantine since March. And it's now October because I believe she's going through, um, in vitro fertilization or whatever. And so she just doesn't want to risk it, which makes sense. So, you know, I always think about this. It's like, imagine like your dad and I know your dad's going to work and stuff. So, but like, imagine your dad being at risk and then you having to tell your dad, it's like, well, dad, if you want your vote to count, you got to get your ass out there and go stand by a bunch of people that I don't like that, that way of thinking, because granted we're lucky and we both have healthy parents, but there are people who don't have, don't get to say that, can't say that. Yeah. And I don't feel like it's fair for us to require them to leave the safety of their own home when they've probably, I'm assuming people that are actually concerned about, you know, concerned and fear for their life have done a very good job of remaining at home, staying safe. And now we're forcing them to go outside. I just mm-hmm. don't like that. Yeah. And, and I don't, I mean, so why couldn't we, my counter to that would be just as I think it's been proposed in terms of like, it, should we have a second wave? We don't go back into full scale lockdown. We leave the, the good, healthy population. You, me, mm-hmm. I exercise, I do vitamin D. I've got a strong immune system, right? I'm going to beat it. If I get it, knock on wood. If I don't, I don't, but I am going to be one of the very few that don't because statistically people like me who get it 
live through it and move on to fight another day, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of locking down completely, we do what Sweden did or something like Sweden and and, and what what they did, and and we leave those with comorbidities and and who are are at higher risk inside and we go fight the battle for them right mm -hmm. what's why can't we do something like that with voting like we already do absentee val ballots and allow people who have health issues today for whatever wh whatever those health issues may be we allow them to cast absentee ballots but we say unless you are traveling unless you are physically unable to go to the voter booth uh you go to the voter booth so right. so why why couldn't we do that today in in the same in the same fashion again well, and you're healthy you go to restaurants you went out to eat last night right. you you are capable of walking down to the voter booth and wearing a mm -hmm. mask and social distancing and voting mm -hmm. absolutely right? And that's still an option. I mean, th that has not been taken off the table. Most people, I would argue, even though we will probably see, like I said, if in 2016, it was 20.9% of all votes cast mm -hmm. were done by mail-in. I'm sure we're going to see probably a pretty big jump Slut, this year. Yeah, an uptick, yep. But I guarantee you it's not over 50%. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we're at 30, 35, 40, maybe even. I don't know. I'm guessing. But, yeah. but that is still very much an option for most people. Yep. But back to my earlier statement is why now are we having such a big discussion? So in that case, could we potentially look back and be like, well, the 2016 election could have been fraudulent because we had a boatload of people, 20.9% of people voted in that election by mail. So is, is there reason in looking back at every previous election and like, all right, well, what kind of fraud happened then? I mean, Oh, I, so to answer that question, I think that's plain and simple. I think it's because I think it's because the president is sitting there in the White House and he's legitimately concerned about the fact that he very well could lose the election if we went to a 100% mail-in ballot mm -hmm. system right now. I think that's absolute because you're 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 going to the number of people you look at Colorado 77%. The reason Colorado has the most people voting, I bet, is because mail-in voting is I was gonna way actually say easier. Early. Way easier than than going down to the booth, well, right? Right? And is it and is that more Okay, so let's that's a let's talk let's touch on that topic real quick. So you just said something that I think in my opinion is valuable like data and statistics that say giving people an easier way to vote you know, and again, you understand this more than I do, but, you know, is it challenging when you have children and, you know, they've got their own stuff going on and you've got like places they, and, you know, when your wife, you know, might be busy or whatever, like trying to, you know, plan how, how to get out of the house and vote and all that. I mean, I'm sure there's a challenge there, especially like imagine like single parents, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the statistics, Colorado, being one of those states that everyone gets a mail-in ballot and they have the highest rate of, uh, like, um, you know, voters voting that to me says, well, Hey, you're giving people an easier way to get this done, which then means that we are electing the person that most of the people in this country believe should be in that office. Yep. I think there's value. Yeah. Now it doesn't change the fact that, okay, fraud could still be a potential problem. But again, we do not have a lot of data saying that that's a true problem. Like all of this data we're getting is it's not a huge issue yet. And here's the deal. I, you know, I don't know what would happen if we actually found out that 
holy crap, you know, this whole election was fraudulent and, you know, we're seeing, you know, a massive increase in percentage of potential voter fraud, I like, you know, activity. Sure. Well, but, and, and that we would have to deal with and, you know, who knows what that would look like, but and are we, are we just blowing this thing out of proportion now because one person who, you know, for whatever, whatever his reasons may be is now, you know, saying all of this stuff around how fraudulent mail-in voting is when, in, yes, yeah, I just, I, I think I, that's, I think that's 100%. It, it's, it, I don't, I don't think it's a lot different than the Supreme court thing. Right. Like if, if the tables were turned, if the tables were turned, if the shoe was on the other foot, I think the exact same thing would be taking place. I think if Hillary Clinton had won in 2016, but Donald Trump had won the popular vote and we were in this situation now where a, well, what was that noise that my throat just did? I don't, (laughs) (laughs) and we were, (laughs) and we were, if the tables were turned, and we had a, we had another Republican candidate in here and they were potentially more popular, like I think Biden probably is. I have a feeling that Hillary Clinton would be seeing sitting here saying we are not going to alter the system and, and start mail in voting in mass because we don't know the potential implications of, and repercussions of doing so. And me personally, I would be sitting here speaking the exact same tune. I would be singing the same tune because I think to me, again, just like the Supreme court thing to me, the problem is there's no precedent. The problem is we've never done this before. And the problem is, and the third problem in my opinion is this is just kind of willy nilly happening. Right. And I've expressed this to you offline off the podcast In my opinion, if you want to do this, and again, I'm totally for it, the appropriate way to do it is to start fresh in January of 2021, whoever gets into the presidency, into the White House, and start to lay out the plan to do that then. It would be no different than if you and I were playing football and we had our teams and all of a sudden I pick up the ball and I go, we're going to change the rules and we're going to do this now. And you go, no, 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 no. We don't get to change. You have the ball. You don't get to change the offensive rules right now while you have the ball. If if we're going to change the offensive rules, then I think we do a coin toss and we flip the coin and we see who gets kickoff and we see who gets to be on offense first, right? You don't just get to mm-hmm. change the rules midway through the game. I think you had to start a fresh game if you're going to edit the rules. And I think that is where that's where my problems uh, lie. Okay, but the thing is, is what you're I I actually see your point, but I think the one problem there is that we're not trying to change. No one's trying to change the rules right now. I mean, but you are. No, because mail-in voting has been a thing for years and years and years. So it's just and not we, in mass. We, not in well, mass. No, but every single every single election, based on this graph I'm staring at, is you know in in '96, seven point eight percent of all votes cast were by mail-in. Mm-hmm. In 2000, it was 10.1. In 2004, it was 12.9. In 2008, it was 16.4, and on yep. and on and up till. T- yep. So we're going to see an increase. Yep. And. So in my opinion, one, the president and or the party in office doesn't get to change mail-in or voting rules. It's not, has nothing to do with the, 
the White House or anybody else. There's an entirely different committee that is in, responsible for all of this. Sure. That isn't partisan. And, and again, I think some of this is coming from, I realize that this year, the reason for more mail-in voting is probably due. Um, there is a, in large part due to COVID and people being like, what's well, safer if I just do it this way. Mm-hmm. And for those able to do it and can, you know, request an absentee ballot. I mean, that's why I did it. There's actually, I mean, selfishly, I did it for two reasons. One, I don't want to go fucking stand in a line for hours on end. I mean, the last time I voted in Atlanta, in Georgia, I think I waited for like two and a half hours. It was insane. And I don't want to do that. I have, I can find 10,000 things I'd rather do with that time. And secondly, I mean, there is this idea that, yeah, it's, it is no, no even stat status or, or I'm sorry, statistics, statistics required. It's safer. Logically, it's safer by me not having to go spend time by, by, by a bunch of people. And, you know, I don't know how they socially distance. I mean, we all saw what happened, you know, in the midterm elections with people like, you know, stacked right on top of each other and all those different, you know, videos and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't the midterm. It was, uh, it was elections earlier this year. I don't even know what they were for. Were those lo- like, like state and local elections? Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and set and yeah. And set it. Cause the, the Senate goes every two years. Does the house oh, go yeah. every two years too? But I don't know. whatever. Yeah. So I, always, I know that there it's, I know they're opposite of, I think they are every two years. They have to be because that's why we're always seeing like a shift in mid presidency, you know, right. like where the majority lies. Right. So, yeah. So, and, and then on top of this, you have a president in my personal opinion, you know, cause, cause you mentioned earlier that you think the Democrats would be in the same position. I don't, I don't know if that's true. I, I don't necessarily be. have a point of view, but, but the, I don't, I haven't heard a lot of Democrats claiming that the mail-in voting is fraudulent. Now, is that only because it's, that's because it's, they want mail-in voting. Cause I think Biden wins if it's 100% mail-in voting. And to go but, back to I your mean, point, but, 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 but how do you say that? Because I mean, then we would need to, we would need more data on like, okay, what states have the most mail-in voting? What are those state states, red or blue? I mean, blue. Are we 100% certain on that? I don't have any data, so I can't, I, I, I can't say. Oregon, Washington state and Colorado are three. I know that are mail-in only. I thought and Colorado those, was always kind of like run, like toe in the line of which way you guys went. I think, I think it's been purple up until probably the last 10 years, but I think there's okay. been enough people that have moved here from the Colorado, the California's, the Washington's, right. et cetera. And so it's, it's turned it pretty blue. I think it's a pretty, yeah. it's a pretty democratic state. Um, Do we know what states send out ballots to everyone? Is there, is it only just a handful or is there more than I like think? Strictly mail-on voting? Yeah. That, that's my, that's what I'm saying. I know, I know Colorado, Oregon, Washington, I think Wisconsin is one. I think they typically are fairly blue. Okay. Maybe it's Minnesota. Um, there, are, I believe there are five. I believe there are five. I know, I know Washington, Oregon, Colorado are three. Um, I don't know if I do know the other two though, off the top of my here's, head. Here's an article. It says Trump might have won three States in 2016 solely on the strength of Republican absentee voting. See what this says. Um, so, so to, to go back to your point about like the increase, so the, the hundred percent thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. The reason that's, that's, 
I, I can I can kind of see what you're saying, and I'm sitting here trying to come up with a good analogy in my mind as to why I don't believe it's it's quite the same. But what I can say is the reason we've seen an uptick and that that continued rise in mail-in voting being a thing is because you have large swaths of people potentially every election, right? You'd have to go back and look at when Oregon and when Washington started mail-in voting in mass or across the board. We started the the podcast by talking about Colorado was 2013, right? So of course you're going to see a huge uptick in 2013 when 10 million more people are voting by mail-in ballot only, Mm -hmm. right? So that's why you're seeing this uptick. The, the, The thing is the problem with just going to 100% is I'm sure that Colorado, I don't know this, but I, I have a feeling that they would not just go ahead and go, oh, yeah, by the way, next year we're going to go to all mail-in voting without putting a solid infrastructure and a solid system in place to allow them to be to, to, to do it. 100 percent across the board right right that, that's that's the difference when the federal government or when 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 congress or when senate or when when they come in and go by the way we're doing 2020 mail-in only there are a ton of states that have not put in the necessary precautionary measures to handle something like this right not only that but that is also extraordinarily undemocratic right the the appropriate thing to do is is to vote on it within your state legislature and figure out if that's something that you want to do as a state, because you may not want to do that as a state. You might be a super, maybe, maybe, maybe you're South Dakota and, and you are Republican AF and you're not into the idea of mail-in voting across the board, right? Okay. That's what the Republic is as a state. You have the right to, to do that. Unless they do make it something that is a federally supported, uh, if it is a federal issue, right? But even then, that's something where I think you have to go and and vote on it. I think I think Congress has to sit down and they have to pass a bill that makes vote in or mail in voting the way it is across the board. You that again. There are there are problems with just changing the way it is across the board in the middle of the game. Right. And, th- and the those- thing. But are we changing it, though? That's, I guess that's my big question. Like, are I, we I, really I think changing you are, it? If you're forcing a bunch of people, a bunch of states, if you're forcing them to do it this particular way, that is changing it by definition. But is, but is, it, is there people forcing it? Like, that's what I'm saying. I think. Like, for example, I don't think think New York allows mail-in votes. I think that's the argument. I think that's the argument. People are saying, no, 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 we we don't want to be forced to do mail-in voting. We want the opportunity. If you you want to give people the ability to do it, sure. Because I don't think any state has been forced to, like – that, and again, maybe that's not true. Maybe I'm I, wrong. I, but. I, I I don't know. I haven't. I yeah. don't know that I've paid enough attention to it. But I think that that was what was being proposed back in August when this whole this whole conversation started. I think I think it was being proposed that 2020 is mail in only because of the coronavirus. Okay. Here we go. Here's here's a cool little thing. So you're we talked about this. So all mail elections are Hawaii, Washington, Oregon, Utah, and Colorado. 
Okay. okay? And then this, I'm not going to read all of them, but there's a lot. So, and those are all blue except for Utah, right? Utah might be might be more more purple. Yeah, it's good. I have no idea. So, no excuse absentee vote absentee voting is surprisingly like that is the large lion's share of states have that option. Okay, and then you have, and then there are other states where you would need you excuse. Re- excuse required to vote absentee. So you'd actually need a valid reason. And I think there's a list of reasons. Yep. So, you know, and, and a lot of those states are, you know, in the Midwest, the South, and then where you need excuses. Yeah. So it's uh, like Indiana, Missouri, Kentucky, West Virginia, Arkansas, Tennessee, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, South Carolina, Delaware, Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, New York's Massachusetts, New York, and New Hampshire. Okay, so except for those three, I think the majority of the rest of those are Republican. Yeah, and then so it is then fairly part- the It states- seems like it's fairly partisan. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I think that you're seeing a lot more uh, Democratic states or states that tend to vote Democrat are either all male or no excuse absentee voting. And that makes sense because it's a progressive thing. It is right. moving in the direction of the future, which right. again, I'm not against. I'm, right. I'm against changing the game in the middle of the game. Right. You said something else too, that I want to touch on earlier. You said something about in the 2016 election, this still bothers me. Um, but you said that, you know, Hillary won the popular vote by two point, uh, what'd you say? 2.3 or 2.8 million. million. What are your thoughts on the electoral college? Necessary. Okay. Explain that because I don't, I can't wrap my head around why we still think this is a good idea. Because it gives, it takes power away from the places where the largest groups of people that's a bad way to put it. It doesn't, it doesn't take power away. It, it, it more evenly distributes power, right? It's, 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 it's no, it's a very, if you look back through the history of society and civilization, the larger the group of people, the more probable the idea of groupthink kind of takes over. Right. And so that's why your urban areas Always far. I mean, there isn't a single solitary example in the history of the world outside of potentially communism where you have large urban areas that are conservatively managed, conservatively run because it doesn't happen. Well, sure. I mean, but there are massive cities in this country that are conservative and conservatively run. I live in, well, not so much this city, I guess the state, but like, correct. Like, the what city about, is da- not. like, what about like Dallas or Democrat. are they? Yep. Good old Texas is, I didn't Texas know Texas as I've... a whole is not. Okay. I bet so, Dallas okay, is, me... is, let's see, is, what is Dallas... the largest city that is, that is Republican? I wonder. Um, I'm going to Google this because that would be interesting. Houston is considered to be politically divided. Dallas is politically divided. Dallas voted Democrat in the last three presidential elections. 
Okay. Um, I, yeah, it's just, I just think that's the way it is. I mean, that's, that's it. it okay. It's a generalization. Generalizations are gross. Um, but, but 97% of the time, 95% of the time by, f- by and large, your urban areas are democratic. And so the electoral college is necessary because it distributes if you if you did not have the electoral college, you would have a democratic president every single solitary time. Okay, so okay, because you're you're kind of you're pulling me down the path that I wanted to go anyway. So this is good. So how come in every other thing that we do, it comes down to everyone's vote has the same weight, and we just say. Because you're arguing this group think thing, and I, I don't know if I understand that. I don't th- know if I, well, I would argue that where I have lived has probably impacted me more because I've seen, you know, I've had different experiences. So, so I could, like, I start to understand why one group thinks the way they do versus another or whatever. Mm-hmm. But why don't we just count all of the votes? They go to the, their respective person. And then anybody who like, you know, fills in the thing or whatever that, you know, whatever we put those in their own column. And then just that's, who's the president. I mean, it's in like, imagine if we, if you, you, me and eight of our friends, were going to sit there and we're going to vote on something. And then I decided to start weighing all of your votes based on some arbitrary thing. You'd be like, wait the fuck a minute. Why does my vote count, you know, only half a vote when I'm a whole person? Like we do it for everything else. It's never come down to, you know what? Hold on. I'm going to wait all of your votes a certain way and then we'll vote. I understand why it, you know, we did it during, you know, after the Civil War. The Electoral College was created more or less to benefit the South and give them a more of a voice in these elections. So that's the reason for it. And I, and it makes sense back then, Mm -hmm. but today I just don't see why there's still value in it. I mean, we have the capability to just count every vote. They go to their respective, you know, candidate. And then whoever has the most, that person wins because the, 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 the way I break it down and maybe this is too simplistic, but Why don't we want the person in the White House to be the person the majority of the country voted on? Like, that's what I understand. So because like like in this in the 2016 election. We had more people say that they wanted Hillary in the White House in this country than anybody than anybody else. So Mm -hmm. the majority of this country wanted her in, yet she still lost. Like that is counterintuitive to the whole purpose of an election. So it's not about majority at all. Majority does not rule in this case. Right, right. Only because we've decided to, you know, I know it's not arbitrary, but we've decided to weight the number of electoral votes every state gets essentially by their population. So, I mean, it, it, to me, there's something innately wrong with it because it takes away this idea that, like, imagine being a Republican in California. Why would you ever vote? It means it, you know your vote is fucking worthless. 
Okay. Same thing in Texas. Why, if you are a Democrat in Texas, why would you even vote? Well, I don't and, think that's the case mean, in Texas. Have, but what? I don't think that's the case in Texas. I think te- Texas is purple. Okay, or or whatever. I mean, okay, let's. But, but Iowa. I, 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 I hear what you're saying. I, I I honestly I honestly don't know. I do know that in general, the electoral college generally supports pretty closely to the state's breakdown of of, right. of how but, they but, vote. Right, but like. You know, Nebraska. And I also, and I also know three. there's there's only there's only been two times maybe in the last 150 years where the electoral college has not aligned with the popular vote. Yeah, and I don't see. I don't even see how that's possible either. I, that to me seems crazy. Like, how is that even like legal? Where you just that 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 you can. Well, your electoral college can more or less look at the votes and be like, I don't like this. I'm going this route. Wait, wait a minute. But that's, no. but that's my point. That doesn't happen. There's yeah. it happened in but 2016 it happened, and it right? happened twice in 150 years. Really? Yeah. We have stats on 26, that. 2016 and 2000 with George Bush. Okay. Have been See, the only time weird? they have been the only time that the, the president has won the electoral college and well, in the last 150 years and not the popular vote. So it's a it's a pretty fail safe system by and large, right? Um, I think that I wonder the, why the, it's happened twice in the last sixteen years or twenty years and because, never before. That's weird. I think the big reason is because of the change and shift in the way the United States is structured. I think for the most part, up until thir- I mean, look at the number of times in our lifetime that uh, people. Maybe not the number of times. That's not the right way to look at how much more mobile people have become in our lifetime. Like, like mm-hmm. in my parents' lifetime and your parents' lifetime, they, my, my dad grew up in Virginia and moved to Lincoln to go to school and then settled in Kearney and hasn't moved. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that was the majority, right. Of people, people stayed fairly, uh, centralized to to where they grew up right oh, yeah i mean my dad has lived his entire life within a 30 mile yep like radius of of where yep. he was born i don't think that's the case in 2020 i don't think that was the case in 2000 i think because of technology's advancements the cost of living because of people making more money i think you're seeing a lot more people moving around and that's why you're seeing states like colorado which used to be the old the old west you know mm-hmm. uh and and very republican are now fairly democratic. So I I think that's because people moving. And so I think that honestly, I think you have a very good case for changing the electoral college and changing the system. But again, I don't know that it's necessarily one that you just completely abolish and get Mm -hmm. rid of, because I do think that the founding fathers, when they put it in place again, I, I will, I will live and die by the fact that those were arguably the, the, the smartest group of people that have ever congregated together and come up with something like something weird there, their, their, their foresight was unbelievable. Right. And And they had a lot, you know, they had, they had Britain to kind of look at and be like, well, what are they doing and where can we fix and improve? Yep. But you want to hear something fascinating? A lot of like the original, like architects of the constitution were not everybody that signed it, but people that actually wrote it were in their like late twenties and early thirties. I know. That's insane. How weird is that? Like also shows, shows that people in their late twenties and early thirties are 
dumb. We've devolved so much. <laughs> yeah, because what I don't, I wouldn't trust a single late twenty, early thirties person on this planet yeah, to freaking rewrite that right now. We've devolved so much, but 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 yeah, back to the point. Like they they had the foresight to put that in place, and I think that mm-hmm. it's a good system. Can it be revamped? Can it be changed? Just like mail-in voting, absolutely. But I think that you address it. Like that's the good thing about. That's again, back to the two party system that we kind of talked about last time, like that he's, he's leaving me. He's leaving. That's he's leaving me. He can't hear me anymore. Can you hear me? I don't know if you can can. hear me. Sorry. I just stepped Um, away from my my apologies. (laughs) That that's again, back to the foresight, back to what we were talking about last, last week. Like that's the importance of the two party system. You have to have the conservatives sitting here going, Ooh, pump the brakes. Let's not change this too fast. But you have to have the progressive liberals going, we need to change this. This mm-hmm. this has to be an evolving thing. We can't just stay here stagnant in in the same place, right? You, you have to have somebody pushing the envelope. That is what you do, I think, with mail-in voting. That's what you do with the Electoral College. You, you try to figure out how can we change this? How can we make this more representative of 2020 United States? Because this is still somewhat... Uh, a, 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 an antiquated and, 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 a, and, a, and a, and a system that's, that's yeah. Rooted in, rooted in the way the United States used to be. And mm-hmm. that's, that's not the way we are anymore. Right. But you got to vote on that kind of stuff and you have to, you have to make, you can't just change it because you don't like the way that it's, it's serving oh, yeah. your party today, you know? I w- yeah, no. And that's like, well, I mean, a, a change that massive, I, I would 100% agree. It would have to, yeah, be put up for a vote and not, you know, not in an election year. I don't even know when you would do it, honestly, but I think you do it in the the, the, the year following the election. Like that should be that that would be something that I would love to see presidents do. Like instead of coming in and harping on abortion and harping on and changing tax, you know, tax cuts this and tax. I'm going to do this with health care. Come in and revamp the system. Like, right. like change, make it better, make it, make it, make it fit more of the people, right? These little yeah. four year healthcare changes, they don't do anything. These four year tax cuts, they don't do anything by and large. They just keep a, they keep a good system. I don't know. Is it, is it phenomenal? I would argue it's phenomenal, which is why we still are in the position we're in. Mm-hmm. But you can see some of those great things, some of those things that have made us great. You can see them starting to kind of whittle and break, you know, mm-hmm. under under extreme pressure. Um. So so yeah, that that why why not come in and 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 revamp those things and prop them back up and and iterate and make them better instead of just changing something like Obamacare and going, yeah, this is going to be healthcare for the next four years. And then the next Yahoo comes in, who's on the opposite side of the aisle and and they don't like what it was and they change it. There's nothing lasting there. You know, nothing has the ability to flourish and, and, and turn into something because you, that that's the problem with the two party system, or at least to where it's gotten. I don't think that's always been the case. I think that, I think historically people were were okay with the other side enough that they would let something 
for the most part, you know, kind of run its course and operate until it became a huge problem. And then they would come in and, and change things. But yeah, at some point in time in the last 30 years, we've become this just hyper-partisan system that the other, the other party is always wrong. And we just have to, yeah. you know, completely blow up what they did in, in, in an effort to serve our own. Right. Scratch. Our own I mean, I, I mean, I understand there's the, there's a purpose there, the, the checks and balances of the system. I get that, but, but you're right. It seems now more than ever that it's just a tug of war and that, that we tug it one way when we've got one party in and it's fine for four to eight years. And then the next group comes in and they tug it back and a little bit more to their side again. And it's just like, I mean, this is, you said something that I think bothers me the most out of our, our, like our current political environment right now is it doesn't feel like decisions are being made for the greater good of our people, Mm -hmm. of the people of the United States. I feel like it's, a bit slap match between a grown grown adults. Yep. And it's all about winning and losing and, and, you know, not giving and, you know, not trying to work together. And, you know, one of my biggest issues, I, I, I say this a lot and I know we've talked about it or at least briefly touched on it in a, in a podcast um, in the past, but you know, this idea of, of not like finding a way to get, um, um, Oh hell, what's the damn word? I just blanked. Uh the people who like, you know, you pay like the like special interest groups and stuff. What are they called? Focus uh like you like lobbyists? Yes, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Lobbying. I think we need to take lobbying out of government because it gives and this is when I said I said this last week on our podcast or two weeks ago, whenever we did that, is I think it's laughable that we still mm-hmm. think we're in control that, that we get to make decisions because we don't, I mean, lobbying groups have politicians in their pocket, right. They have boatloads of money they're throwing at these people Yep. all to get them to vote in a certain way. I mean, I was reading an article that shows that was saying that, that a lot of these bills that are passed lobbying groups will actually write the bills. And then when the bills are brought to, you know, the house or Congress or the Senate or wherever these things are voted on, a lot of these people bringing them to be voted on, on the floor, haven't never even actually read the entire bill. Right. And like that to me, of course you, you, you know, I realize we're a capitalistic society, but the thing is, is we are letting them run away with all of it and they are in control to a degree. And that bothers Mm -hmm. me. I think that should, and I was going to do some research on this and I, and I, had every intention of doing so and I never got around to it, but you know, what, what is the history of lobbying in the United States? Has it always been allowed or is this something that we approved, you know, within the last few decades? I don't know. That's what I was, that's what I was going to say is I don't disagree with you. I think that that's probably something that needs to be addressed, but I believe lobbying has, it's, it's always been there. I think, I I don't think there's anything um, new with it. I do think that, as America has grown, as America's pockets have grown, I think those lobbyist organizations have become wealthier. And I think that their voices become a little bit stronger because mm-hmm. of that wealth. But I don't know that it's 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 a new thing or it's something that popped up in the 60s, 70s. I think it's always been there. Um, what's interesting, I've heard... Tulsi Gabbard, who you would have seen, you would have seen me flock to 
the voting booths in support of her had the Democrats not been completely <laughs> idiotic and put someone with half a brain into the into the the, the, the candidacy there. Mm-hmm. Um, she has she has a viewpoint that I would I would probably I would probably I, I would have to agree with this more than anything I've heard in terms of the reason behind why DC has become so partisan. She talks about how, when she started serving in Congress, when you would walk onto the Senate floor or into the house of representatives, you would see people on both sides of the aisle kind of intermingling. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think she's been in Congress seven years, maybe eight years. So, so as, 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 as recent as 2012, right. Um, you would see people intermingling. Now she says you walk into the Senate floor or into Congress, into the house of representatives. And it's maybe you see one blue Senator over on the Republican side or vice versa, but by and large, it is split right down the middle and her argument what she says is, and this kind of goes back to that mobility thing and, and the way we all are becoming more mobile. And this is, I think a very interesting thing. And, and, and the reason I say I agree with it is because I think it is what is you go, you look at the social dilemma. It is what is causing the devolution devolution. Um, yeah, it's what's causing society to devolve as a whole, I think, is the lack of community and the lack of conversation and the lack of uh, small knit kind of tribes. Right. Mm-hmm. So she says that back when she started in Congress, the number of people that lived on Capitol Hill. The number of congress people that lived on capitol hill i I forget what the exact statistic is Mm -hmm. um was far greater than it is in 2016 or 2020 even in that eight-year period the cost of airfare has lowered so greatly that your congress people are now living back where they come from so her from hawaii for instance she lives in hawaii whereas it used to be 50, 60, 70% of the time. And I feel like there might've been a requirement at some point in time. And and that's changed, but don't quote me on that. Where if you were in Congress, you had to spend at least 50% of your time in DC. Mm -hmm. Right. But now you've got people living where their constituents are. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and only being out in DC when it comes time to pass a bill or, or, or one of those times that Congress is in session or whatever. whatever, Yeah. And so what you see is you used to see this time. There used to be a time period where all of these Congress people would be on the Congress floor. They would be sitting there barking. They would do this. They, of course, got their opposing views. But then they would go to happy hour afterward and they'd Mm -hmm. have some cocktails and some beers and they'd shoot the shit. And that's where work would get done. They'd Mm -hmm. be like, oh, hey, remember this time that you voted against me? What do you say you vote with me this time and I'll vote with you next time? And so you saw this kind of camaraderie, whereas now they adjourn, leave the Senate floor and they get in their private jets and fly back to their constituents. And there's Mm -hmm. no sense of community, no sense of camaraderie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and and I, I have zero doubt that that has had an impact. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, Has to. think it. I mean, shit, we can take that and kind of put it into, into practice or at least in theory today where I would absolutely argue that the, the close relationships that are developed with your coworkers have substantially shifted due to COVID and working remotely. For like, sure. You're not getting, you know, I was actually talking to a few um, past coworkers like a week or two ago, and we were having that conversation around, you know, I remember getting to work when I was at WebMD and there'd be mornings where, you know, I'd walk in, put my bag down. And then, you know, we all sat relatively close to each other. So we'd stand up there. And the next thing you know, you got like some people from the design team and then you got some people from like sales enablement or whatever, you know, because, you know, while we all will sit in our own little sections, we all have just like, you know, one aisle between us. And so people would, then next thing you know, you have eight, nine, 10 people moving their chairs into the center of this aisle. And we all just sat there and shot the shit for 40 minutes in the morning about new stuff's going on, whatever. And you just don't get that anymore. And so those right. relationships, those close knit relationships are the, Hey, we're going to go grab lunch. You want to roll with us today or whatever. You don't have that. And now it's more of a, I see you on a video and I don't know what's going on in your personal life. I don't know enough about you anymore. Or the things right. that, you know, you're going through a hard time or you have some family stuff going on that I would have probably heard about Yep, and would have absolutely made my interactions with you change based on knowing those things. Like if I knew you were going through a hard time and you had some family stuff going on, mm -hmm. I, as a manager would probably be a little lighter on you knowing, okay, she's got some other stuff going on. Maybe not all have her head completely in the game or his, you know? So to say that that would happen at, you know, that level in government. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could, you could 100% see that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's happening across the board, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's. I mean, it's I think it's a completely different podcast, obviously, but uh, but yeah, that that community aspect, that community thing, you know, I mean, that's that's that that's a real that's a real thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that that I told you I was reading that primetime propaganda, and they kind of touch upon that, you know. There 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 used to be a shared knowledge or idea in America. Right. Yeah. Um, there were three television networks at one point in time. And not only were there three television networks, but ABC knew that on Monday night at eight o'clock, NBC had the hit show. And so ABC would put their worst programming on the television at that point in time, because they knew that all of the Americans were tuning into NBC at eight o'clock on Mondays. Right. And so everybody would watch the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I could sit here and argue for capitalism all, all day. I, I think, I think it at least today is the, is, is the best system we've come up with as, as humans, but there's something to be said about going to work the next morning and all having watched the same thing, because now you have this shared conversation, mm -hmm. the shared understanding, the shared knowledge versus everybody and their dog could theoretically watch something completely different on Monday at eight o'clock because of Netflix and Hulu and the 400 cable channels and, and DVDs and you know what I'm saying? And so, mm -hmm. yeah, even, even, 
those experiences that you had when we when you were in the office, you know, pre COVID, they're they're still better than COVID, but they're not as good as they were 30 years ago because nobody's talking about the same thing, you know, or, or very small groups of people are talking about the same thing. And so we've just completely lost this shared the shared identity. That's that's huge, I think, when it comes to you know, getting back to our conversation yesterday with regard to the sympathy, empathy, you know how hard it is to empathize with someone when you have you're, you're you don't share anything with them. Right. Yeah. Not, it's not, it's not impossible, even, actually, because you just don't understand. Com- it. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, and that's I mean, we hear this all the time, too, but just we have, for whatever reason, just deviated from all social discourse, all communicate, like no one wants to actually have a honest, open conversation with anybody. They just want to fucking get on whatever soapbox they can find and just, you know, scream for all of their beliefs. And, and God forbid someone took the time to be like, well, why did, why do you feel that way? Can we, can we talk about it? Like help me better understand your point of view. And that just doesn't exist anymore. Or if it, if it does, it's on a substantially smaller scale than in the past, I would argue. Right. And, and, and then unfortunately we have various, um, external like pressures, like just driving it home and making, making the divide even bigger. You have, you know, divisive like media and, and social channels where people, just refuse to have these conversations and, and anybody who has a, uh, an opinion that's not yours, all of a sudden, you know, you're calling these freaking heinous names or telling them they're a fucking idiot or it's just, it's they're racist. They're Hitler. Exactly. They're, I mean, which I still clear, love. I love the Hitler thing. It's like, do do, have we forgotten about how bad Hitler was? Yeah. Like, <laughs> we're, we are comparing people to Hitler. Yeah. It's like, it's all right, so, settle down. Let's pump the brakes. Right. But I mean, and, and this is where, you know, I love that you and I are doing this and for, you know, however many people listen to it, it's never something that we've like set out to like g- gather hordes of people to hear us. But the fact that you and I aren't aligned yet, we can still sit here and have these conversations and we're still, you know, just as great of friends when this, when these mics are off. Um, even though like, I mean, last week's podcast or whatever it was, the last podcast we did, I mean, we were very much on opposite sides of that argument or that debate. Right. Right. But you know, I didn't get off the phone and be like, yeah, fuck Jeff. Uh, right. And as I, I respect and appreciate you have an opinion that's not mine and talking about it. I actually learn more about where you're coming from than just me writing you off as a fucking moron that doesn't have a clue what you're talking about. I, I know you're not an idiot. So it's, it, it's interesting to hear this stuff. So yeah. I don't know, maybe we can get more people doing this. I mean, I know that I've had my own you know, uh, approach to my sister and my mom and my dad having these conversations and trying to explain to them, you know, even with the black lives matter movement and the protesting and and what it all means and why it's happening. You know, while I love my family, they have been, they've spent most of their lives in parts of the country where they're not going to see the stuff that you and I probably see having lived in big cities and understand that, you know, you do see stuff that doesn't seem quite right and mm. why people might have strong opinions on some of this. So I don't know. I'm glad that we have these conversations. I mean, today, I mean, even just talking through your opinions on, you know, voter fraud and what you think that means 
I mean, I have more information on why you believe that than I did before we started this. So that's, that's great. I love it. Yeah. It's important. I think talking, talking's important. Um, yeah. Extremely. But, oh, yeah. I also well, wanted to throw this out cause I found this and then, um, we can move on or if we need to roll out whatever, but so this is just some stats on what I was talking about lobbying earlier. So there were 11,143 registered lobbyists in 2016, according to the center for responsive politics, which means there are about 20 registered lobbyists for each member of Congress, more than the 3 billion, more than 3 billion was spent on lobbying in 2016 or about 5.5 million per lawmaker. That's, That's crazy. Crazy. That's crazy. So anyway. Um, that's interesting. I need to read. I, I need to understand lobbying more. I don't, I don't. Hey, but fully you, and you are right, by the way. Um, lobbying has been around. Um, in 1972, Virginia Revolutionary War veteran hired William Hull to lobby Congress to, for more pay. So in 1792, lobbying was allowed. Seven, so 1792. Yeah, yeah. And so 1776 so, is when uh, yep. we or 1619. Sovereign nation or whatever. So what right. is it? 1776? 1776. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that it's been allowed. If, if, if that is indeed the first example of it in the United States, then I'm assuming it's probably been allowed since the very beginning. Yeah. So, um, awesome. Well, let's wrap it up. It's, uh, yeah, this is, I, I love this one. Love yeah, each other. Me too. Love, be, be good. Talk it out. Fucking yeah. let somebody else tell you something that uh, maybe you don't want to hear. That's right. That's how we build and grow, right? Exactly. And let's get back to communities where where yeah where we have these conversations and where people get a get to yeah. go out with other people. And I know it sounds crazy, but maybe just one time in the next week, go talk to somebody that you disagree with, and maybe see if you they can change your mind a little bit. Get deep. Get deep. That's the important Call thing. Call me. I'll have a conversation with you. I'll have a conversation. Speaking of that, we need to have an interview guest here shortly. So yes. let's, uh, we let's have push, two on deck. Let's so, push for that. Next, yeah. next pod. Love it. All right. Brother. I, I love you. Love you. Love everybody. Love all the listeners. Thanks to our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll thanks see you to next our sponsors. Time. All right. Pace's. All right. Later. <laughs>